Hi, I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And we're from Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the entire Back to the Future trilogy one minute at a time. Like the minute when Principal Strickland becomes a vigilante hero of the wasteland after Biff takes over Hill Valley in the alternate 1985 timeline. I I don't... Wait, I don't I don't remember. Or that. the minute where we learn that Dr. Emmett Brown is secretly the saxophone king of Hill Valley. Hold on. When when did that or when did that happen? When we slowly start to realize that George McFly may have murdered both of his parents. Okay. Now I don't I don't remember that being in the movies. Well, Scott, that's because none of those things are actually in the movies, but it's all stuff that we talk about on Back to the Future Minute. Back to the Future Minute, available at DuelingGenre.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one shouty minute at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And joining us again today, we have our friend Tara Bleak. Hello. Hello there. And today we'll be talking about Minute 104, which starts with uh, more yelling and Gimli uh, very clearly saying, never trust an elf, and ends with Frodo kind of staring like a deer in the headlights at everybody staring at him after he says, though. And we'll get the rest of that line tomorrow. Yes. Uh, so near the beginning of this minute has always been one of my favorite effect shots in the movie, mm-hmm. which is the reflection of everyone standing up and arguing in the ring itself. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that that's a really cool visual effect. I don't know. It's just I've always, just always thought it was really cool. Yeah. I like um, we were talking off mic about that scene in the first Avengers movie where they're all arguing in the lab and then the camera kind of sweeps and then it like turns upside down. Yeah. So you, and then you have like the scepter also kind of influencing their argument. And I think this scene is like the grandfather of that scene. Yeah. There's like a direct correlation to like this evil artifact and people arguing and this other evil artifact and And people people arguing. arguing. Yeah. 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 But it's like, uh... Because, I mean, like, don't you even see the people arguing, like, upside down? Because it's the reflection. Like, you know, when you stare at a spoon and your face is, like, all messed up? Perhaps. Let me Perhaps. Back and look at that, actually. I was just too focused on everyone yelling at each other. I don't think other. so. I think they're all still arguing right side up. Yeah. And then, like, fire fills the ring's right. reflection. Which Poor is also Frodo, really like... cool. Oh, yeah, you're right. They are all uh, right side up. Um, Poor Frodo just kind of like taking all of this in, though. Yeah. And then him being like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Stop shouting at each other. I'll do it. That's Uh how I feel when my friends are fighting. Like, (laughs) you know, you're just like, I will take the ring to Mordor. You're just like that awkward, like, third wheel, and like two of your friends are arguing, and you're just like, kind of, you just kind of disappear into the wall. (laughs) Like, it's like that meme of Homer Simpson right. disappearing into the hedge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Poor Frodo. He's so Poor little. Frodo. 
is. The scale, I I think, doesn't quite work in that wider shot of him walking up Where behind he steps Gandalf. Forward, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a few different things going on here because for this shot, they filmed all the human sized guys and the dwarves who were scale doubles in makeup all together, mm-hmm. and then they had to go back in and do uh, blue screen scale work for Gimli and Frodo. Gimli's a dwarf, though. Oh. But, but the face, okay. But John Rhys Davies right, is right, right, right. taller than Orlando Bloom. Right. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Frodo is also like not three feet tall. Right. So <laughs> they had to go back in and do blue screen work for Frodo and Gimli as well. And everyone else gets to shoot all together the whole time. And mm-hmm. then these two have to do stuff separately for some of the blue screen shots to, so that the scale all works. Right. So that probably just added a couple days to their filming schedule having to do that. The look on Gandalf's face when Frodo steps forward is so painful. Oh my god, it breaks my heart. Oh, it breaks my heart. (laughs) 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 This is why we're friends. (laughs) We're just compatible. Because Gandalf, because they really wanted to convey that like, Leading up to this, that Gandalf knows that Frodo is like the only person who can continue to carry the mm-hmm. ring, but that he is in no way willing to ask Frodo to do it. Right, because there's that conversation earlier with between him and Elrond, and Elrond's like, "Well, you know, he has shown you know some resilience to the ring's evil," and Gandalf's like, "No, we can't. We can't. He's my little. He's my little friend. We can't ask him. We can ask no more of Frodo." Right. Yeah, he just got stabbed. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, he almost died. <laughs> almost died. But that that uh that reaction shot was added relatively late in the uh, the overall filming schedule. Peter really Peter Jackson, like thinking about this scene, really wanted like a really meaningful reaction like shot, really heavy reaction. Yeah. heavy reaction from Gandalf, and they didn't get it when they first filmed this scene. Mm. So they came back later and filmed that reaction shot for. For Gandalf. I'm glad they included it because there's also that really um that really long drawn out musical cue with like the strings yeah. before it goes into the um the Shire theme again. Yeah. Um and it's just very like sad and yeah. it is it is a big deal. Like cuz you know we just got that wonderful speech from Boromir about how Mordor is like a shithole and yes. you know and like literal like there's literal well, no. holes of poop like well no that's 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 Isengard has literal <laughs> holes of poop um. um but and now and we also have that conversation between Frodo and Sam about how Frodo is ready to go home and he misses the Shire so much and yeah. then for him to like make that sacrifice and literally like you know, step forward and say, like, I'll I'll do right. it. But also, like, you know, if we're talking about, if we're thinking about the influence of the ring on him, he also partially agrees to this, if you, if you want to kind of take this interpretation, he partially agrees to this because it's also a way for him to hold on to the ring longer. Ooh, man. that's sinister. That's so yeah. sad. It's a way for him to hold on to the ring longer, and the ring is like, yeah, you carry it. Well, You're willing to carry me. You bring me closer to home. I mean, and I think that's definitely one way to look at his, his decision so, to go. He looks so 
pained when he hears the ring kind of repeating the dark speech. Well, yeah, because it's it's actively pushing on him. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But if you want to track like the the influence of the ring, then I feel like you can't discount the idea that it might have something to do with his decision to carry it longer. But that may I because don't know. he wants to hold on. I don't to think it. I I don't think I like that interpretation purely because it kind of um, takes away from his sacrifice. Um, it does, but you also like if the ring is an active force, right? Then why wouldn't the ring push on the person it knows is still willing to carry it? Yeah, well, it's, it, I think it's pushing on everybody. Yeah, but. Everyone else's reaction is to argue amongst themselves, but Frodo's reaction is to like make a like make more of a connection with the ring and be like, "I have to do this," mm-hmm. and I feel like the ring knows that Frodo is the only person who is like that. Everyone else will be willing to let carry him. Mm. You know, I don't think that really discounts Frodo's sacrifice because in the end, it is still a very like heroic decision he makes to like voice, you know, "I'll do this." But if you're thinking of the ring as an active villain and an active corrupting force, yeah. I think that there's some element of that still there. Of mm-hmm. him wanting to still carry the ring because it's still pushing on him. Yeah. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Because like It's like it's the devil on his shoulder. Like Frodo is supposed yeah. to be this like this innocent, you know? Yeah, but he's definitely he's not incorruptible. Yeah, he's well, he's already partially been corrupted. If you look at it like from the addiction standpoint, he does want to be rid of it. Like a lot of addicts want to be rid of their vices, but yeah. He's it's still weighing on him a lot. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of why a lot of addicts relapse is that they still want it, but they still want the feeling that they get, but they don't mm-hmm. want to it ruining their lives anymore. Right. So he's like, I gotta, I just gotta deal with it for a little bit longer, and then I can get rid of it, and then I'll be free. Right. Right. But that's, but that's just justification. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. bargaining. Yeah, that's bargaining. Yeah. And if you track the ring as addiction, then this moment might be somewhat bargaining. Yeah. Yeah. Like a choosing the lesser evil. Kind right. Of thing. Exactly. Hmm. And I, I think that like looking at it through all the different lenses, like just adds so much depth and complexity to like what the ring represents. And it's something important to try to try to track how people interact with the ring, thinking about it as an active force, the way the movie kind of portrays it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a really interesting way to look at this scene is this idea that Frodo in part, even if it's subconscious agrees to this because part of him still wants to carry the ring. Yeah. And it does make the ring that much more sinister when you think about it that way. Right. Because it's like corrupting even the most noble of noble of deeds. Yeah. Which also is kind of mirroring Boromir. how Boromir talks yeah. about the ring. And I think that I think that's cool. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's it's definitely a really interesting way to look at this moment. How do you think that tracks with my um my pet theory about tracking the ring as uh, a symbol for not just addiction but like mental illness i i think that's still i still i think that's still somewhat tracks because in a way like with mental illness you want to like be rid of it but it's something that's always kind of there yeah 
and yeah. it pops back up in little sinister ways. That's true. Mm. Yeah. Like, this is a thing that he's going to be carrying with him his whole life. It's not... And you see yeah. that at the very end of the series, is that he he's never truly rid of it, but he does get yeah. better. Right. But you, you can never be rid of the corruption of the ring, which is, yeah. in, a, in a way tracks differently than certain kinds of addictions mm -hmm. like yeah. because people do free themselves of addictions completely but like with mental illness it's always still going to kind of be there right yeah. it's just in how you manage it yeah you yeah. learn to manage it so it's i think like that's a, like the 12 step program yeah yeah you know. mm -hmm. so, yeah I'm, I'm 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 glad i've brought up look something. at you reframing my like view of the scene yeah <laughs> uh that's part of the reason I've always felt that this scene's really interesting. And when I was like really, really obsessed with Lord of the Rings and like watched these movies all the time and like read the books mm -hmm. multiple times in the same year and stuff, uh, I always thought of the influence of the ring as being like much more active in the like in this way. Yeah. Like pushing on Frodo, being like, I know you're willing to carry me. If you agree to this, you get to we get to hang out a little longer. Right. You get to be my buddy. I want you to be my buddy. <laughs> but also, like, there was there was a time where I thought of, like, the way that I thought about this whole story is that, in the end, Gollum is kind of the hero. Hmm. Because without Gollum, the ring doesn't get destroyed. Right. True. Gollum is the one that ultimately saves Middle-earth for his own completely selfish reasons. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would call him the hero, but I would call him, like the the catalyst that finishes everything yeah um because if if Gollum isn't there like if Gollum had been killed there is no happy ending here right and like that's the real tragedy of Gollum right no I think Gollum towards the end is less of a character and more of like a force yeah well it's in that um because Gollum start, starts to turn around and we see the possibility of his actual redemption. Right. But in the end, it's... He is overcome. He has a relapse. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we see that with Bilbo, uh, I think, next week, too? Yeah. But I think just the uh, just the hint of that, that real possibility for redemption of Gollum frames him as a somewhat tragic hero. Yeah. Well, we get to talk about... We can talk about that more. in two, two towers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I've always loved Gollum. He's really interesting. Yeah. For a lot of the same reasons that Boromir is interesting. Right. It's that, like, corruptible, tragic, like, alternate reality. Yeah. Yeah. Because Gollum is the proof that, like, it's not just being a hobbit that makes you, like stronger against the influence of the ring mm -hmm. because he is corrupted almost immediately by the ring right he kills someone right on his first interaction with it so he's the proof that there's just something sterner about frodo even among hobbits mm -hmm. and yeah. i think that that's really necessary yeah to like show that our our protagonist is inherently strong that there's something special mm -hmm. about him that juxtaposition is just really highlights how great frodo is yeah He's or, a good foil for Frodo. like he makes that yes. like he he agrees to carry the ring, but he makes that he has that struggle every single hour every day of his life is that he's gotta 
stand up against this ring and say, you know what? I'm not going to use you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not. The book you're also. Not, uh, yeah. Yeah. The book also highlights uh, very late during uh, when Frodo is assumed dead by Sam and Sam picks up the ring. The book has a moment where it highlights that Sam is even more incorruptible than Frodo. Oh, Sam. Because there's a there's a moment in the in the book where Sam, when he has the ring, well, it tempts him too, right? It tempts him by showing him like Mordor as his own personal as paradise, garden, yeah. And Sam's just like, no, I have to do this for Frodo. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really cool that we get that moment for Sam in the book, but mm-hmm. we don't get something comparable to that in the movie, right? That's really interesting to me because Sam is a gardener and Mordor is like bereft of all green things. It's just this barren wasteland of desert well if it's all uh Mm -hmm. if it's all ash and dead stuff it's the perfect place to start a garden that's true i was i was talking to a friend of mine about that about how you know it all the silt and all the like it would be perfect for agriculture if it weren't filled with terrible people (laughs) yeah terrible monsters and i think i think that moment in the book also is a great illustration of how the ring tailors its temptation to whoever's holding it. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, Sauron can read your mind. Yeah. That's his, his whole bag is mind magic. So. Mm-hmm. What a weird guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Indeed. Do we ever learn what Frodo's temptation is? No, I don't think so. It just pushes on him constantly. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't think there's any passage about like the ring trying to make Frodo feel like he's great or powerful or that he can be. Mm-hmm. I think because, uh, and I think that tracks with the idea of Frodo kind in some ways being written like an everyman. Yeah. Like, what would tempt you, the reader, to like use this great power? Right. Mm-hmm. Because we we don't see a lot of uh, really defining personal characteristics for Frodo in the book. Mm-hmm. Which is somewhat to the detriment of the character. Well, I... But they did a very good job, like, adapting this character to the screen and, like, giving him motivations. Right. But we still don't have... And there's not, like, this understanding of, like, temptation for power for the ring for most people in this story. Mm Mm-hmm. So that doesn't feel, like, out of place that we don't have that for Frodo. Well, I mean... Because it's tempting Boromir. It's like, you can use me to win the war. Yeah. Um, And it tempts... But it, it's also the way that the ring is presented in the in the movie. You have to question whether or not that's like the ring actively per- tempting him with that idea or if that's his own insecurities being projected onto the idea of like, this is just a powerful weapon. Well, I think because we're using the ring, the ring is like an active force. So I think it's a little both. Yeah. Like it's playing off of those insecurities and saying like, you can use this. Yeah. Do you want a nuclear weapon? Here's a nuclear weapon. Right. Oh, God. Push the big red button. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that analogy of like the ring as a as a symbol for nuclear power was one of the common ones at the time this book became really popular in the states. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it was part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think didn't Tolkien hate that though? Like, yes. He hated that theory. He's like, no, it's just a ring. God. <laughs> well, he hated allegory and metaphor. He hated one to one metaphor. Right. Says like his least favorite thing. She's like, if you're writing a one-to-one metaphor, you're failing as a writer. Sorry, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is really funny to me because he he wrote this isn't in any of the books as far as I know, but um, like it's not like 
actively in the books, but there, his son found a ton of his un- incomplete papers and stories, and he has a Ragnarok story. Ooh. And it's called and it's called something very similar to Ragnarok. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but he Ragnarok. does have. <laughs> that sounds like a really good, um, heavy metal band. Right. No, it's called uh, it's called Dagor Dagoroth. Okay. And so it it sounds kind of similar, but it's very similar in that um Morgoth has been chained in the halls of Mandos, and he gets free. And then he causes the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a very Thor-like uh, elf guy has to kill him. Who? And then he ultimately winds up being killed by the same guy, by Morgoth. And that's, like, what happens is, like, the whole Ragnarok story is mirrored in his writing. Yeah. But he never, he abandoned, you know, he abandoned it. And I think he probably looked at it and was like, oh, man, this is too close. I can't do this one. Well, I think because he is influenced a lot by um, different, like, Scandinavian mythologies. Yeah, the Norse um, stuff. Yeah. And because he, he does that really good translation of, of um, Beowulf. And that's like oh, a Germanic yeah. mythology, not like a... Like a... Like an English. An English mythology. I mean, uh, ancient Germanic and ancient Germanic stuff is essentially the same as English because it's yeah. all like the, the same peoples. But there's a difference between in, like the, the Norsemen yeah. and the people who were living in Well, I mean, um, the, the people of the British Isles are descended of Germanic peoples. English okay. is a Germanic language. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But um, he's yeah. also like with his languages, he's really interested in um, like the Scandinavian languages, like Finnish and yeah. dialects thereof like so, there's a there's a lot really of similarities yeah. between the lord of the rings and yeah. like it i think it's a finnish one it's like a specific like finnish oral myth yeah that had never been written down until right, like the 70s right, yeah. by anybody um i can't remember what it was there was like the whole documentary yeah we watched, we watched a, like an hour-long documentary about it that sounds Which awesome. really cool yeah yeah it was cool talking about like yeah. the similarities between like it and lord of the rings and like the heroes mm-hmm. and stuff it yeah. is really interesting it's some cool stuff yeah. Well, because, like, because myth is all allegory. I mean, not allegory, but, like, you know. Applicability. Yeah. Which he was super into. Yeah, that's what he's, yeah. I, I propose instead applicability. Right. <laughs> the uh, the foreword to Lord of the Rings is actually kind of a cool little read. Because he also talks about, like, being corrected on the spelling of terms that he made up himself. Right. Like, um, Elvish with a V instead of with an F. Yeah. Um, and it's not like, no, elfin, it's, it's elvish. Yeah, it's elven. It's like, not dwarfin or dwarven, dwarvish. It's el, it's dwarven. It's yeah. like, okay, like, stop replacing my Vs with Fs. <laughs> I'm a linguist. I know what I'm about, son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that I think about that, wraps I think that's us for that minute. This up. I think we're doing um, all right there. We are from the website duelinggenre.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page as well as a listener group with a lot of cool um, listener interactions and discussions and such. Um, and if you also have a moment, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps us out, and um, we'll be really grateful. Yeah, let's see if we can get on the front page of the iTunes podcast page again. That was sick. Uh- 
That was amazing. <laughs> um, and thanks again, Tara, for joining us today. Thanks and for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Uh, and we'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Bye. Bye.